we're back, we're loud, we're proud. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good overnight. I'm Anthony. And I'm JB. I think we've got a bit of a smorgasbord of things to cover off today. Yeah. Um, there's a little sort of squirrely kind of thing that I want to talk about. Right. Uh, the tendency for people to be a little bit squirrel-like. Right. And what impact that has on others in teams. Goodness. You get straight into these subjects, don't you? I remember back in the day, we used to about 15 minutes of chit-chat. But there you go. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, but how, how are you? What's, what's new in the life of JB? But yeah, I mean, we can get into the squirrel if you want. Yes, no, fair enough. Well, so this weekend um, was a big rugby weekend stroke disappointment if you're an England fan, as I am. Um, but it's those like one of those things, those you know, where you've made some changes in your team mm. and, uh, you know, you're taking a few risks and you've got a little bit of air cover to get things right. So we've got a new manager, Steve Borthwick, and he's trying out some new stuff. And the learning was that it was a bit of a disaster, but that doesn't matter. No. Uh, but if Because I believe in Steve Borthwick. I think he's got what it takes. Um, but anyway, that's my weekend. It was all about rugby and being in the pub. What about your weekend? Well, for just quickly, for those that are listening to the podcast thinking, what's he on about? Uh, England lost quite badly, didn't they, at the weekend? If you might be listening Huge. in years' time to this podcast. Um, yeah. It was the worst loss on Twickenham's ground for England oh, ever. stop it. Is that right? I think it is. Anyway, <laughs> uh, my yeah. weekend um, was uh, football, football, pub, um, visitors and sleepovers that's basically what what my weekends revolve around and a bit of housework you know uh did some vegetation because what it's the last week in the uk we had a heavy fall of snow i know jb missed it because of the coastal weather he experiences and i put some bushes out last um autumn and an unfortunate number of them got snapped under the weight of the snow so that made me very cross and then today as we're recording this right now there's heavy winds out there, so the, oh, the bushes no. that survived the snow are now being flung around in the wind. So that my weekend will no doubt this weekend be spent repairing what I started to do in terms of spring readiness for the garden. Won't you just love the ones that survive, though? Oh, you God, know, yeah. with all yeah. this nurturing that you're doing with these little saplings, which yeah. is, I think, what they are, um, you know, you'll love them as they grow. I remember many, many years ago... Uh, Packing into a massive laurel bush all round my garden. And this laurel bush, these it bushes It is laurel were... that we've put up, by the way. It's laurel that we've planted. Oh, right. And um, they were at least 15 foot high wow. and obscuring a beautiful view. So I was advised to hack them right back to, to the basic wood, which I did. And I thought I'd killed them. I really honestly thought I'd killed them. But oh my God, they came back with a vengeance and it looked fabulous. So, and have have some faith. I think you'll be all right in the end and you'll love them. You'll love them as they as they return to their glory. Nice. Or, or former glory that they've never even had because they, they, they're a yeah, little baby ones. They, they've never, we, we bought them from a farm that grew them to about five foot and the plan was along the back. To, we've got a person that backs onto us. Let's hope he doesn't listen to the podcast. Uh, we removed a big willow tree in our back garden because it was just dominating the garden completely. No natural light and was annoying our neighbours because the roots was coming up in their gardens. So I had that removed. But unfortunately, it meant that weird ironing guy who backs onto us, all he does is irons 
literally in his kitchen looking our houses are on hills so you can see his first floor can see into our ground floor and so on the list goes anyway yeah it's been a a a, a requirement for us to provide more privacy so we are keen that these bushes do succeed so i'm glad you, you say that they're, could they're you great. log that willow up and can you burn willow in your fire uh we we'd so interestingly when it was chopped down um one of the neighbors came and took away a lot of the big logs and they have now got it curing or drying whatever you want to say it is over the next yeah so it's this winter they'll be able to use it but um oh that's yeah. good yeah, good there you go. um but it's an aggressive the one that was in there it was only seven or eight years old and it was 25 foot high it was crazy um anyway there you go so um podcast i know jb has a subject um this is topical for this week um for the uk so i'll need to explain what my topic is for this week jb if i may yes um, please. so there is for the international audience which is the majority of them looking at the analytics we have a sports broadcaster who played for england in the 90s called gary lineker um, and um, he has what I would classify as, in JB's language, an ego the size of a planet. Um, and he works for the British Broadcasting Corporation, which is a tax-funded institution that carries no advertising. Um, and therefore, they allegedly have some stringent guidance around impartiality. Now, remember, Mr. Lineker is not a news anchor. He's not a political broadcaster. Um, he is a sports uh, expert, arguably. However, he is the officially the highest paid freelancer by the BBC. He's employed directly by the BBC as a freelancer. Um, however, he's not employed. Um, now, the guidelines are for freelancers and employees of the organisation to be remain impartial. Uh, a week ago, um, Gary Lineker did some tweeting around um, his political views on opposing a government position on something. We won't get into the nuts and bolts of it because it's kind of irrelevant to the, the theme I want to talk about. What then ensued is, um, unfortunately, it becoming politicised because the governing party um, wished for him to be punished for his, well, some have said they wish him to be punished on his viewpoint because he should be impartial. Those against are then saying that the BBC are bowing down to political pressure rather than remaining impartial. So therefore, ironically, they're becoming a biased organisation. And in amongst all of this, we have a, what I would argue, an employee that has broke his employment contract, much like me and JB, by the way, had experienced in Radioland many moons ago, where if radio presenters did things that were not supposed to happen, they would be punished for it. Um, and if they were in breach of those contracts. Now, I guess my question is, JB. Oh, God. There's a big load of leadership lessons <laughs> here, isn't there? Because you've got the director general of the BBC who, in theory, is enforcing, and it's come to him, unfortunately, because he's got the highest paid star and unfortunately comes right to him, which is frustrating because surely there should be enough people in the organisation to be able to sort this out themselves. The leadership I sense has been all over the place. It's not been a good week for the organisation because, unfortunately, they've you know they've had mass walkouts from staff that are in solidarity with Gary Lineker because he's suspended. He's now been reinstated since, by the way, um, and he has, by the way, just so just to, for as we record, it's been announced this morning uh, he will be returning to to match of the day, and Gary Lineker has committed to not do anything. Um, he's going to remain impartial until an independent investigation has gone about what should be. Um, classified as impartiality for the future. So there's been a line under the sand drawn with the situation. However, 
um, we have a situation where politicians have annoyingly all jumped on the bandwagon to make it all about politics, which it shouldn't be, because ultimately it's between a leader and an organisation and the behaviour of an employee or someone in there. And there is a degree of tail wagging the dog. You've then had other employees walking out in solidarity with this employee saying, well, I'm not coming back until you reinstate him. Um, and I think that it's it's probably harmed. The, the biggest injured party here is the BBC. I don't think politicians will, you know, as with anything else, there's been enough craziness in our world. This sits very much on the whatever. It will be yesterday's news in a couple of weeks' time. But does this now mean that every time... Um, uh, so another example, Sue Barker, who retired forcibly a couple of years ago from the BBC, and there wasn't a mass walkout and protest of her being axed from um, the question of sports. She retired from tennis, and then she was replaced, along with the other captains, for comedians rather than sports experts. And there's been a big... I don't watch the programme. <clears throat> there wasn't mass support there. So what does this say about the leadership of an organisation where... Absolutely, there needs to be some moral obligations. But when there is a contract that's been signed and the organization has to do what's right for its business, which is in reality provide a service to its consumers, which is the British taxpayer, unfortunately, where's leadership going wrong? I'm not, I don't even want to talk today about Keir Starmer's jumping on the bandwagon or Rishi Sunak having to defend his political position on it because it shouldn't be about that. Unfortunately, leadership, I think, of at all angles, political and business. You know, what do we do if this happens in our business? JB. <laughs> no politics allowed. Wow. I've, I've been very careful to scoop, scoop politics here. It is not about politics for me, this discussion. I, I feel that you're um, very politely steering me away from um, the first part of what I actually wanted to say, that these tectonic plates are on the move in this country and there are some things that are being said uh, by politicians that are so incendiary and so unprecedented that it is leading to an environment where people like Gary Lineker are going to speak out because they can't help themselves. Uh, what's in his favour is a uh, an agreement or a protocol that was put in place, as I understand it, a couple of years ago by the BBC. Um, we now are in 2020, 2023, and that protocol is almost out of time. It is um, well overdue for renewal. And the the thing about social media and things like Twitter, which is what Gary uh, has used a lot in his time, I believe he has 8 million followers, in excess of 8 million followers. Um, he is a very, very successful uh, broadcaster, and he has a massive following. And he has his own company uh, that is... Bankrolls a number of other... Yeah. So, um, I, I think. Yeah. Okay. He, yeah, and he's paid over a over a million quid or whatever it is by the BBC to do his job. Now, that that agreement uh, that was created for people like uh, Gary um, is is insufficient uh, in its tightness, and I think maybe there's something there 
uh, that that you know needs to be thought about, um, which is now what they're doing, and they've got to review their you know they've got to they found some way to get uh, Lineker back on air. Um, but you know there is a gaping, them, they, so there is a gaping hole and tightness uh, in the agreement that they have with these ginormous, um, you know, characters uh, that you you know you you try and bolt them down, and you're going to have all sorts of legal teams, uh, you know, fighting against you. And so I, I think the learning for me here uh, is kind of two or threefold. Uh, one is I, I I have for some time thought that the BBC were totally complacent uh, about these matters and allowing the egos the size of planets to be able to determine how they uh, want to use the BBC and how they will be used by the BBC themselves. So, you know that that required a great deal of tightening up. Um, over the last couple of years, what was what was originally agreed was not tight enough, and it didn't see the changes happening. This should be reviewed all the time. Uh, you know, you know, on certain apps and certain um, things, terms. yeah, they're, they're renewing terms all the time because life is changing. But BBC is complacent uh, in these areas, and it doesn't move fast enough. It's not learning fast enough. It's sclerotic. It's sclerotic. Right. Uh, what, what is it? Leadership then that's causing the lack of innovation, or what? Yes, yes. And with its eye off the ball, and I won't be political, and but there are some serious problems of interference uh, at the top of the BBC and perceptions of interference. Can you imagine what's been going on there for the last year or so? Um, you know, they are trying to get a new um, license. Uh, agreement, which I believe happens in a couple of years, so they got that going on. Is this what Their the, eye um, is well this, off the ball. Is this well what, off the ball. When you say new agreement, this is what the next ten years would look like for the British taxpayer in terms of whether they're legally yeah. expected to pay for the fee or not. Because I think Absolutely. that's that's the biggest challenge, isn't it? Is that in reality the yeah. license fee is outdated, which would it's so outdated. take away all of this straight away. Yeah. So they, they you know, that, that they've got so much of this change to deal with. But it's a sclerotic uh, organisation uh, that cannot keep up with the pace of change. It's got a model called a licence fee, which was created God knows how many decades ago. I really don't. I mean, the BBC is over 100 years old. I think it's, it's, uh, it's got to be 80, 90 years old, isn't it? I mean, yeah. It's and and so it's it, yeah. I, I, sadly... Uh, it's not fit for purpose. This is an example of a sclerotic organisation with appalling senior leadership um, that is causing all of these sorts of problems. And guess what? Guess what? This is the beginning of some major problems if they don't sort out the contracts with their people very, very soon, because we live in a very unprecedented time um, and I will say this, and with a with a leadership of the country that is is actually creating a great deal of unrest and division, and there will be other broadcasters be who will get on the bandwagon. I think I think we have seen the start of something along the lines of a Me Too movement of people who will speak up 
because of the unprecedented nature of the comments being made by senior politicians in this country right now. And uh, this is just the start. And the BBC are having to, to, to work against it at the moment. They, they need to work with it and change their systems very, very fast, which needs a great deal of great leadership from the Director General and a new chairman, not the one we have in place at the moment. Interesting. So again, It's not like I have a strong opinion or anything. No, I know. That's why I was being very careful to try and not bring it up. But there we go. It's out now. The, the rabbit's out of the bag. Um, so I was more, again, bringing it back to where I was hoping it would go, which inevitably wasn't, is in organisations, how does a leader cope with these sorts of employee revolts? Arguably, you and I would position Gary Lineker, I assume, on the high skill, low will area of our matrix. Because ultimately, they are perhaps engaged with their role, but they're abusing the privilege that come with their role. And they're in breach of their contract. I agree. They need to be, you know, I think the gray area thing is, is an agreement. But if you and I have employed people and we work for a big super brand, let's say Apple, and in our employment contracts, you're not allowed to go on social media and brag about Samsung or or Android, and someone repeatedly does that, you're going to have a word with them. So this is where I'm trying to get our thinking is, as a leader, if we've got tails wagging the dog, there's a problem. And I hate to say it, again, I'm keeping the politics well out of it, but Gary and Nick's ego is, is, is seemingly bigger than the organization. And it's, it's winning favor, um, which I, I don't think is, is, a, is a healthy thing. If we all think companies can just have a revolt of their employees because someone doesn't like, you know, it's a bit like unions. And I think that's quite a dangerous place because all of a sudden leadership can't lead anymore. Um, you know, notwithstanding, as we've said, I agree with, by the way, with, again, not going to join into politics. I agree with actually what Gary Lineker said around um, what, <laughs> what caused all this in the first place. But at the same time, if you signed in a contract with your employer, freelance or employed, I can tell you now, if any of our freelancers working for us break our code of conduct that we have in place, we let them go. The end. Um, now, he's been suspended whilst an investigation is ongoing. Now he's been reinstated with an agreement that he will remain impartial until an independent review is done. But I suspect, I hate to say it, I'm not sure um, that if you are funded by taxpayers and therefore your customer... So, the taxpayer is the customer. If you're not rep- if if you legally are enforcing that every one of your customers has to buy from you forevermore, and your customers are saying I can't legally not pay you, so if I disagree with the viewpoints coming out from your employees, I still have to legally pay you money for that to happen. That's not healthy. That's poor leadership. Now, whether again politics aside, you know, if we are saying to some of our customers we don't care that our employees are saying things that disagree with your position because you are, you know, but in the commercial world where there isn't a legally bound, you must pay the BBC some money each year, then you are going to be moving. If you, if you don't agree with this, this, that, that particular broadcaster, you move your advertising elsewhere, which is why there are some of these broadcasters that probably won't be in business in a few years' time because they they don't have enough advertisers willing to do things. And unfortunately, the world is becoming quite divided, which I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it. Um, goodness, Well, big. let me ask you a question then um, with this situation with Gary Lineker, should uh, the BBC then tighten up its agreements and policies uh, and then present that to Gary Lineker and his legal team and 
if he doesn't agree to abide by that policy, that agreement, uh, then you let him go. Yeah. You, you, you would do that. Yep. Yeah. Because as an organisation, if these, it's independent in theory, so whatever comes back from it, if your employees are not willing to abide by what is right for the organisation, then those employees aren't the right fit for your business. I, by the way, for a long time, I felt that he was very overpaid and I don't particularly, you know, he's he's a good broadcaster, um, but that's as far as it goes. He's not worth the money. And I think you're right, he could earn a lot more in the private sector and he should. But I don't think, the ironically, the advertisers would be queuing up um, to, to, to subsidize that increased cost. It would be, do you see what I mean? I think that's the thing. Yeah. You know, we're, we're talking about a program that he fronts here that is watched by, I think, about 4% of the population. Um, each week so it's you know for the for and um, for what he's paid versus the income that the bbc gets in in our business we it would be a very expensive luxury to have um you know versus the cost it does to run it so if my employees were not willing to go with our code of conduct i would totally expect them to want to leave which is fine um that's that's our business your business is to remain impartial and when i would say a number of employees careers have been developed you would expect that level of loyalty from your employees to the employer um, I think we're getting. I, th I think we're getting into some quite interesting stuff here now because, as you and I have both come a radio background, yeah. and I remember <laughs> uh, some occasions getting rid of certain presenters uh, because they had either done something that was completely wholly unacceptable, or basically their figures, their reach and hours were not sufficient, and it was going down. Uh, over time. And so you you get rid of them. Now, at the point that you make that decision, you get a hell of a hullabaloo and clients complain, you take that, you know, presenter off air, or else. I'm not advertising on your station anymore. And you get all of the staff go a bit funny. Uh, you get <laughs> listeners writing in and, you know, complaining about everything. You put a new <clears throat> presenter in oh, and, God. you know, over time, it, 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 I'm sorry to say this, but it it all dies down pretty damn quickly. So, taking you know a a completely business view of this, if you write up really tight uh, policies and procedures uh, in the use of a Gary Lineker name brand, uh, and you you employ his company to produce the show or whatever goes on. Um, that has to be done tightly within that agreement. Uh, and I think that's where the BBC has been complacent. Whatever agreement they've got is not sufficient. Otherwise, Gary would not have done that. He Because uh, there was wriggle room there. There must be wriggle room. And because it's, he it's, feels it, he... Neither party are backing down, though, are they? Which is, in, you know, they, they've both, I think they've agreed to disagree. He yeah. will remain impartial until an independent review is done. But the BBC yeah. are not saying our guidelines are wrong and he's not saying his position's wrong. So yeah. you're right. I think the greyness has caused them a huge issue. But I've yeah. always I've always believed of the impartiality of the BBC. It's almost it's it's excruciating sometimes where, you know, in election season, they are counting them each political party are counting them the number of minutes they're getting on air and will complain if they don't get, you know, well, that's their position and here's the opposite position. And I think also if you watch Newsnight, I love Newsnight's impartiality. Okay, it's a news broadcast, which is where again this greyness exists. But if you watch these really good journalists, if they have a government person on, they give them an absolute you know, violation. They then turn to the opposition party guests and give them exactly the same amount of drilling. 
So, you know, I, I and, you know, depending on the, the mood of the country and these particular positions, it can no doubt in the audience's mind, there's always this conclusion of bias. But I, I do think I, I've always admired the BBC for its impartiality. And I think if if this suggests that we are now going to have a GB News or a, uh, a socialist style state broadcaster, I think it's going to be damaging either way. So I'm not sure. Um it's huge. Yes. And this is absolutely huge. It's a very, very interesting point. Because I think, you know, it is it is about the BBC having the confidence uh, to form some, you know, really, really tight agreements um, and being clear about its charter and letting no presenter or big name decide uh, their policies. But I think they have to be clear about their impartiality and the perception of impartiality not only amongst the audience but also within the bbc itself yeah, yeah. um so you know that that is a problem for me for the future for the governing governance of the bbc they've got to get that absolutely right and i, I do you know maybe getting an agreement that spells out once and for all um that you are not allowed to make any comment about the current government uh, under any circumstances. Her, yeah. Now, that would be fair. And if Gary doesn't like it, good luck, mate, on Sky or, you know, ITV wherever you or, go. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah off, you, off you go. Jeremy That's Clarkson's done a right out fine. of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you on that. And... Um, there is me avoiding the political side of this story as much as I possibly can. Exactly. And this is the thing, you know, we, we aren't bound. This is the beauty. If me and JB wanted to go into politics, we could. But I'm trying to also remain <laughs> as impartial on this as we can as well. Um, and that's the challenge, isn't it? In biz and this is the thing. And, and this is kind of where I wanted to bring it back into business with leadership, is that I don't think, and maybe to your point with the tide turning, you know, our publicly listed company is going to have to declare their political persuasion as to which way their executive committee votes in an election. I don't think that's mm. that's right. And if on mm. that basis we're then going to have, well, you know, we are a socialist organisation or we're a conservative organisation and we have to declare that almost in our on our glass door, <laughs> you know, our executive committee, 80% of them voted for the Conservative Party, 20% voted the Labour Party, um, you know, I think that's that's getting into a really bizarre kind of space. But we're almost, I agree. We're almost, I think, you know, as a leader of an organisation, I think impartiality is one of the key things we need to create auth authenticity. Okay, not, but we we need to leave politics at the office door. And unfortunately, if our key employees were on social media, um, if if I worked for my old firm and was uh, raving about what the competition was doing, I'd rightly be dragged into the office. Now I know it's a it's a new complete nuance to the situation, but I think JB's right that there there needs to be clear guidelines, and the leadership comes from them saying we stand by these, and we understand that might not please everyone. Because I hate to say it, what it, I think whatever way it comes out, it's, no one's going to be happy if they if they if the uh, investigation concludes that it's only news or political broadcasters, or actually get rid of impartiality altogether, then the license fee is done because people will say, you can't, you know, I disagree with this organisation. I'm legally bound to do it. Therefore, that's, you know, that's not good. Um, if um, they double down on it and Gary Lineker subsequently leaves, you're then going to have a mass boycott again. 
Um, so you're right. It's I wouldn't want to be a leader of the BBC. I, I think it's. I, I think I, I, the the point about for this model, you know, the BBC, um, I, it has to be seen to be impartial. It cannot um, have a chairman imposed on it by the current sitting prime minister. That cannot happen because it creates a perception of mm. partiality. And so uh, for me, that's a problem. Uh, uh, because uh, if, uh, if, if, you can, if you can get the contracts right, if you can get the agreements right with your various suppliers where they're not allowed to be partial uh, in, in any of their social media or any, in any regard, it will be perceived that they are talking on behalf of the BBC, whether you like it or not, they must not do that and if it's all very clear you've, you've got to make sure if if the values and the purpose and the Rethian uh, order charter is is kept sound then you don't allow all of this stuff to tarnish all of that great agreement that yes. you create that hold that tight because there, if there is a perception um, either from the left or the right in politics of yes. uh, it being partial, you're a bit screwed when yes. people have to pay a licence fee. And then you're going to have broadcasters going, what the hell anyway? I've got nothing to lose. I'm a big name. And I don't care about the agreement that I've got with the BBC because my people, my 8 million followers, and we'll you know, I'm, I'm so big, I'm too big for the room. I'm too big to fail. Is is kind of you know I I think we have to be so we're almost totally saying that, clean we, totally clean we we need to get rid of the chairman and Gary Lineker then because they both have in theory yep. too much bias on opinion um, I think I I'm in a, I do you know what I'm in complete agreement with you if the BBC wants to have a a, a good sweep a really good bit of clarity mm. that we are an impartial broadcaster in every single way. Then fine, I'm with <laughs> so, you. I'm I'm one hundred percent with you. Do the do the do a good review, a proper review, not not some sort of woolly thing. And this is what they keep doing, Anne. This yes, is the problem it, that it's right. too bloody woolly. It's a really good conversation, though, isn't it? Because look, I'm now going to throw I'm going to throw another, another. Oh my god! Another 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 tool in the spokes, a spanner in the works. Do you think we've got any BBC people listening? Possibly. Probably not. I don't know. I know we have a lot of commercial radio people listening, which would be thinking, oh, they're now thinking about the times when, oh, yeah, when we had to fire that person. So, look, I'm going to controversially say, imagine, if you will, that we then said they both should stay, the chairman and Gary Lineker, because to your point, um, you know, if we want to have complete consistency, um, I, this this is where I, I get a little bit great, because I actually think Gary Lineker is a good broadcaster as long as he leaves his politics at the door. Um but again, I think he's entitled to his opinions, which is really frustrating. Anyway, I want to leave it there. The chairman, <laughs> um, the chairman um, JB's referring to um, was instated, and the, there's a suggestion of corruption and bribery. We're not, we can't say any more on that because there's an investigation going on with it. If that's the case, inevitably this chairman will be removed. Um, the director general is not the person, is it? In question, is is that right? So the director general no, is, is different. There are it? there are perceptions yeah, yeah, again yeah, 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 yeah. around exactly. the director but, but, general. But the the problem we've got, folks, is that I sense we've got into this culture in this country. I don't know what, it, and I think actually globally, to be fair, apart from 
where there is regimes that you have to be impartial all the time in favor of the government, and that's called <laughs> dictatorship. It's called Russia. Yeah, or China. Um, oh my goodness, I'm waiting for some something to come through my my, my, my letterbox any minute. Um, but but I, I, my worry is we then end up employing leaders who are too vanilla to innovate. So if we have no one with any political history at all, and they are whiter than white, are we worried that they become too vague and too... I don't know. That's that's the problem, isn't it? You know, you you know, you look I don't at the see that there's enough there's enough really good people out there and from industry and commerce and what have you to be recruited through an independent, a truly independent committee uh, to appoint the chairman of the BBC. Why is it that they open themselves up? Why is it that we have this problem uh, of a Prime Minister deciding who the chairman is no, I of did, the I BBC. I Why the hell yeah. does that happen? Why can that not be? We can do it in so many other industries. In the charity area, we appoint people through a committee process. They have to declare anything mm-hmm. that would hold them back from doing a proper sound job but, for that and and that that that's where this problem lies and because it it's not truly independent oh, no, I agree. And, it, and it creates that that perception i agree however we currently have an opposition party and a governing party and other parties that employ people to dig out the smallest bit of dirt and they sensationalize it to therefore so anyone that's so i think you know even keir starmer who's an opposition leader at the moment in the uk you know they're, they're digging stuff up on his past constantly where and actually you know therefore even an independent person what's ever thus say him what's ever thus i don't know what that does mean oh sorry it's always been that way yeah but, you yeah know, no, i agree but if we if we want true impartiality and an independent body go and appoint someone inevitably they're going to eventually come out with something about this person says they're no longer impartial because that's yeah. what people want to see. And I and this is the challenge, I think, for, I mean, in the commercial land again, I think the, the bottom line, line is, is that the BBC in this case, unfortunately, needs to scrap its its legal obligation that the public have to pay for it. And then it, it solves all these problems. Um, by the way, putting my hat in the ring, I would pay the licence fee if it was optional because I like accessing all the BBC services. Well, um, do you know what? And I've gone, I've swung around on that point so many times, but I, I, I have come round to the view uh, that we should pay a license fee if our broadcaster is truly independent and is perceived to be independent. And so that's I goodbye, think that Gary, and goodbye, Chairman Chapman. Chairman, and probably a boatload of other people, and then I'm happy because yeah. the quality of some of the stuff that the BBC does is wonderful. And you cited Newsnight; it yeah. is excellent. Uh, there's some amazing. I just I'd pay the license fee just for the bloody radio shows. Actually, <laughs> I think there's some really good stuff. I mean, there's some clean outs to be done um, with certain <laughs> parts of the thing, which I won't go into, but you know, I, yeah. I, I think it's worth, it's worth it. It, and I, the, I th- it's I th- a fantastic I, resource. Yeah. I mean, look, and respected around the world. It is, it is. Um, and interestingly, actually, the number of people say when they travel abroad, even from the U S or other parts of the world, what they watch is BBC world because they know it's impartial. Yeah. 
Um, it's superb. Which, which it is great. So, soft leadership. I mean, it's a it's it's the greatest soft leadership thing that we have uh, mm. in this country uh, yeah. around the world. You know, it has a, a formidable, and it makes a lot of money. It makes a boatload of money. Mainly from us British taxpayers, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, but look, I, I just thought it was a really interesting subject because inevitably, um, as JB alludes to, if the world is becoming more polarised in its opinions and we are, we're, we're, I hate to say it, I think we're living in the outrage decade at the moment where we're outraged by everything that everyone says, um, whether it's what Gary Lineker said or what provoked him to say what he said or et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think... Businesses are going to have to get ready for these sorts of revolts. Social media is, you know, it's hugely divisive. Um, JB will know um, last week, International Women's Day, um, I had the fortune on this podcast of interviewing interviewing four very inspirational ladies um, who gave their kind of their stories and stuff. And I asked them about the biggest challenges facing young women today. And they also then expanded that to young people, full stop. And social media is the enemy. You know, there is, right. there is, you know, m- most newspapers had editorial guidelines, radio stations, commercial or public had editorial yeah. guidelines. There is no editorial guidelines on social media. People can post what they want and to hell with the consequences most of the time. And this is nuancing impartial opinion for our children. And there isn't a leader to JB's point. The BBC is soft leadership. Um, but it, but it has to double down in impartiality, and that will inevitably have consequences for them losing some of their key talent, arguably. But if they are soft leadership, then there has to be total neutrality um, yes. because it needs to compensate for what our children are now experiencing, which is this, unfortunately, Twitter's getting terrible at the moment because if you've read so many things, it then starts posting more stuff because you've read that. So ironically, if you spend a few... So I've spent an hour the other week looking at quite opposing views to my own and now i'm getting fed loads of it and i'm yes. and i'm disagreeing with everything whereas a few weeks ago i was kind of you know it was more me following what i was interested in not politics for example and i think it's then starts to whitewash your thinking um you know i've had to sit down one of my children in the last week and say you can't say that you do know that's that's inappropriate well yeah but and, I was like, and then i watched his tiktok video ah okay um so it, <laughs> social media um, clearly, in the case of Gary Lineker, um, is is the is the common factor for causing so much disruption in our society right now. And God knows what governments around the world are going to do to sort it, because something needs to change. You know, you look at suicides now are heavily linked to online bullying, and that's predominantly through social media. Um, there needs to be some serious leadership over impartiality, maybe, and also social media around what's going to happen here, because... Um, this is where I suspect most of our problems are occurring from, social media channels. And look, we had an American president elected predominantly because of a social media <laughs> account, um, in my opinion. I'd say, I'd say, I, th- I think this has a very, very big impact on uh, knowledge and knowledge sharing in organisations these days. And I've been doing some work on some content recently, and I... I started thinking about, uh, you know, the difference between hoarding and collaborative workspaces, collaborative work environments. And I don't know about you, Ant, but I, I've worked for managers who, and, you know, when I was much younger, who, who tended to hoard knowledge. They'd hoard information mm. 
and and they 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 saw it as their right. Yeah, knowledge is power. Yeah, that's exactly it. So knowledge was power for them. They they wanted to, and they thought it was their right. You know, it's not not for you to know. I'm the manager, therefore, I you know I I know this stuff. I don't need to share it with you. Um, but you know, we work in an environment where the um, knowledge is power in a different way. You know, we need to get knowledge out as fast as we possibly can. And I, I, this whole area of, we were doing some stuff on mentoring earlier, weren't we? And actually that whole mentoring process is about sharing knowledge with others, but the need to share knowledge, the cycle of knowledge sharing has to go faster and faster and faster because we need to keep up with everything that you've just been talk to, talking about there. I, the amount of posts that, that we get on Facebook uh, or TikTok or, you know, any of these social media areas that are business orientated. I'm getting more and more of this stuff mm. and opinions, business opinions and all sorts of things. Um, you you um, you read um, the Times, don't you, as a newspaper predominantly? Is that right? I I read I read a lot, mm. um, and I I enjoy uh, some of the editorial in the Times. I I I will not read the Telegraph, but I do read bits of the Times. I mm. uh, even read a little bit of the Mail now and again just to see. Really? What's... Oh, yes, uh, only because we, a bit we, like you, you we, know. We need to wanna... the Daily Hate Mail. I want to. I want to have a look at, at you know the shit that they're pumping out um, because I've got friends who pump out the very same shit, and I need to be able to understand the source of it. Right. Um, yeah. Probably I'll be controversial today. Um, but isn't that a but, great discussion though? I have to say I'm really I, I'm enjoying this far more than I thought I would <laughs> because I think as this is the problem at work. How much longer? Or is it critical? I don't, and this is where the, the, the debate could rumble on for hours, is impartiality in the workplace. A good leader has to reflect the mood of the organization and its people. But if, yeah. if our organization are becoming more and more divided in political opinion, um, cultural awareness, um, the use of social media, um, and press becoming more divided just to keep their audiences engaged with them, how on earth do we navigate as a leader through all of that to to be, you know, impartial? I mean, you and I both know the common chief executive we used to work with, who I know you had completely opposed views on politics, but you totally. admired their, their leadership. And you would never know it in the workplace. Boy, have I got some questions for him. <laughs> but anyway. Um... <laughs> yes. Caravans over cliffs, you mean? Oh, my goodness. Um, I can't wait for that. Um, but anyway, I so and you you lead me towards um, my little finale on this uh, kind of difference between knowledge sharing and knowledge hoarding. Yes, um, the the knowledge hoarder can can't exist in this environment. You can't because actually two reasons. One is everyone else is going to know this stuff faster than you. Um, just but just when you think I've got the knowledge, I'm in charge. Um, everyone else knows it. In fact, they knew it two weeks before you did. Um, so that's one part of it. And the other thing is the expiry date on that knowledge. Uh, actually, it, it's probably only 
a month or two before it become it goes beyond its expiry. It's no longer necessary for you to retain that shit in your head. <laughs> and and so uh, equally, you know, this um, kind of idea uh, of learning organizations and hoarding. You, if you if you have someone like that in your business, really get rid of them. Get them out of your business. They 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 will not keep up with what needs to be done. And I'm going to put in a word that I think you will you will like in this context, as we've used it many times. But we've got to unlearn faster because mm-hmm. it's a waste of time. And there's there's the there's there's for the for the leader to challenge the leader. What do you and your need? organization need to unlearn fastest now there's there's the big question what do you need to unlearn fastest now so that you can make space uh for the ever-changing learning environment the learning needs for you for your senior leadership team and your business and your customers tell them something they didn't know what what do you need to get your customers to unlearn unlearning is the new learning you um funny you mentioned this. I don't think it was you and me. I was on a custom event with a client with Joe last week. It's a big HR population of a multinational firm, and one of them came out with the um the phrase, "I need my outcome from today is I need to unlearn and relearn." Yeah, and it's the first time I'd ever heard a punter in speech marks say that before because ordinarily it was a phrase that JB um first explained to me many moons ago, and I've adopted it ever since. And I think it's it's such an important thing. Wasn't it your daughter that found the quote? The the great yes. the great academics of the the modern the current I mean, sorry yeah yeah the 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 learners uh, of the twenty first century um, will be those that are able to learn, unlearn, and no learn, relearn, and unlearn. Um, you know, not not the academics, mm. not not the the, the brightest. I think um, I think the phrase in, was the educators of the 21st century yes, were not those try, academics, I, but those had, that had the capacity the to to learn, unlearn, and relearn. I think was the yeah, quote. that's it. And I, I until last week, I kind of I I'd, I'd understood that unlearning thing, but if you put it in the context of capacity to 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 actually learn at the speed of change. Which this is brilliant, and because it, you know, going back to the BBC, they have not learned at the speed of change because their eye has been off the ball and hasn't unlearned. That's what, that's what that that brings that into it quite nicely. Mm. I suspect there's quite a lot of hoarding in that wonderful, wonderful institution that is pretty sclerotic. Um, it's not moving. It's not learning fast enough. It, it's not learning at the speed of change. And you've got to be able to do that. So unlearn fast to give yourself more capacity to deal with the kind of the speed, the, the you know, putting knowledge into action faster. Putting knowledge into action faster, we must do now as, a, as an absolute priority, BBC and others. Can't believe I'm lecturing the BBC today. They've had a good old. They've had a. They've had a good old go over with us today. And but I'm. I. I only think we're voicing um, frustrated punters who actually value it, but are a bit 
are a little bit fed up. You know, I, I, I'm a bit cross actually about what's happened with these things. But I, I, I these these subjects of hoarding and knowledge sharing, they they are the great knowledge sharers of all time. They they are the leaders. We we want our leaders to be able to move faster and get get knowledge out there. And uh, they are they are there. I yeah. I I think there's a lot of a lot of mileage in that with the BBC. I agree. Should we should we end? I mean, 